0: money comes to you it's not like what does this do for me but what does this do for those around me what can i do to use this as an act of service
1: hello everyone welcome to another episode of the auto gomes crypto show my name is Otto gomes i am your host today i am so excited i get to speak to one of my favorite instagrammers she is just comedy gold tony nagi She's a filmmaker who founded Cave Light Productions and has written, edited, directed, and acted in over 50 sketch comedy videos that together have more than 2 million views. Nagi has her BA in philosophy and has been a political activist focusing on voting rights and political engagement since she graduated from Sarah Lawrence College. Today, Tony uses a combination of movement and facts that deliver a powerful message and the healing properties of laughter and i believe she is leading the comedic charge towards the freedom of our souls ladies and gentlemen tony nagi
0: Yes, I'm so honored. The comedic charge of the freedom of our souls. Oh, that sounds so delightful and delectable.
1: (laughs) It feels like a lot of responsibility, right? (laughs) I can do it. (laughs) I believe believe in you.
0: (laughs) I want to believe I can be a part of that grand movement.
1: Well, thank you, Tony, for joining me on this interview. I really appreciate it. Um, I love doing these interviews because I get to just dive deeper into the person that I admire. And I really want to just get to know you and your journey to this point. So if you can just share a little bit about that journey, kind of where it started and specifically the red pill moment that shifted you out of the matrix.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. So. I think for me, it all began in the third grade. I noticed I had a propensity for movement. Um, I was a very manic child that was told I had ADHD um, when I was in the third grade. I actually said that as a joke. And I was like, wait, no, it actually was in the third grade. But I also ate a disturbing amount of candy. I was like um, a protege of Willy Wonka. I ate so much candy. I did not have a lot of supervision and... Uh, my go to snack was, you know, the genetically modified high fructose corn syrup of the candy machine. So I was like on Coke a lot, basically, on Kid Coke. Um, super energetic. And I had a lot of questions. I remember you know, being in class and asking questions and that being very irritating for teachers. And so they were like, you have a learning disability. And I was like, or I'm just desperately craving attention, but whatever. (laughs) So I I remember getting tested and being told I had ADHD and I had a very existential reaction to the thought of medication. As a nine-year-old, I was like, who will I be if I take these pills? And then who would I be if I decided to stop taking these pills? And what would that do to my personality? And I was really examining and wondering about how that would impact me on this, not only metaphysical, but psychic way. And so I told my mother, I was like, I don't want to take pills. And so the teacher actually goddess bless this teacher was like well then that kid has to move a lot more (laughs) like you need to tire her out and so I had roller skates and I would roller skate for you know like five hours a day I just was like I gotta move I gotta move this body of mine in order to um, be more functioning in the expectations of society. So I think that's where a lot of it began around the movement aspect of my life.
1: Wow. That's an amazing um, experience and like a awareness to have at that age. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Cause like, I've always said that kids, kids are smarter than us. That's the truth. They just, they, they know things that we've forgotten and and you just instinctively knew like man i got I, what's going how am i going to change like how is this going to change my body my mind and that's just amazing perspective
0: Yeah, it really scared me. Ironically, I did tons of drugs in my future, but (laughs) But then it's a choice.
1: Then it's a choice.
0: It was was my choice to do that. But yeah, and I think it's interesting the concept of expression and movement and energy. And I do think that some people have a excess of a certain kind of chi, and that chi can feel really like the buzzy and irritating um if you're not wanting to experience that so i can understand retrospectively like that i was annoying Mm. to certain adults and they were like oh god just shut the fuck up but um I do have a lot of gratitude for finding different methods of tiring myself out so I could be a part of society. <laughs> so, and, so I can fit into the box.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: So I could just like contain myself and, you know, not have to alter my chemistry. Not that, you know, I know that works for a lot of people. I'm not shaming or having an opinion about someone else's choices, but more appropriately, I think that for me personally, my greatest, I think this is for the case for everybody, whatever is your difficulty is also your superpower. So Mm -hmm. my annoying excess energy was also a superpower, but I had to learn how to harness it rather than just being irritating. Well, I,
1: I love that you said that, that, you know, the, what, what society usually tells us that is our weakness is usually our strength. And, and you are like, I'm going to wield this into it. Like you alchemize it, right? You alchemize that energy into something beautiful.
0: Yeah, I try, man. I mean, it's funny. Uh, I also think that You know, when you're a kid and you have a lot of emotional reactions to life, how you express them is going to be filtered and micromanaged by the adults around you. So I didn't have personally a lot of space to express my emotional discontent or negativity. I had to kind of fit into the family structure of being the non-problem child or the one that just didn't need a lot. And so I think the counteract of my emotional suppression that I was doing was just this kind of like physical, um, physical ecstatic <laughs> way of being. So I kind of wonder retrospectively, had I had more space to express my emotions, would I have been so physically volatile? I'm not so sure, but I definitely think this was a coping mechanism for not knowing what to do with these uh, emotions that I had, that I had no other outlet for.
1: Uh, So, man, so that kind of, that's interesting because that's like essentially what you're doing now. I mean, you're, you're allowing your body to move in the way that it needs to to get these energies out. And then at the same time, you're speaking these facts and this truth. And it's like, how, why am I being receptive to this very terrible piece of information?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Um, I mean, I do think I've talked about this before, but I think for me, it's about the clown archetype or the fool archetype. That's something that I've always kind of been. I've always been a bit of a clown and a fool. I think that's because my parents are hyper academic. Mm. Um, My dad is a very respected professor. And so his intellect is his brand. It's his identity. It's his piece of um, respect in society. And my mother is also an academic. And I grew up in a really, you know, hardcore academic family. I grew up actually in a Harvard dormitory. So I was just surrounded by intellectuals. And I also just really saw them as um, flawed adults with their own emotional inadequacies. And so I was never seduced by the hierarchy of intellectual pursuit, I guess, in a certain way, because, you know, they're your parents. And I'm like, you don't know me or you're not better than me, dad. Even though my dad's like a total genius in many ways, he is better than me. But yet, I refuse to believe that. So I think it gave me a kind of arrogance, um, an unfounded arrogance to not take intellectualism so seriously. And that has allowed me to explore comedy and being the fool or being the clown in a way, because I was never trying to improve my intelligence because I was so, um, I don't know, unimpressed by the institution of intelligence. If that makes sense. I I was privileged to have that PS, but
1: yeah, I know. I mean, I mean, you, you, you know, it's, it's kind of like anybody's story, right? You, you, you have a certain childhood, a certain upbringing, and usually there's one of two ways you go. You go either go the same path everybody else is taking or you
0: poof yeah, you diverge. out
1: of it. And it feels like you know, they call it they call it the uh, the black sheep of the family. Um, and I feel like are you the black sheep of the family?
0: Of course. And that is who I'm always connecting to.
1: Yes, yes. Um which is funny cuz like I, I, I what I've come to realize is that the black sheep of the family is the person that's just more connected to their body, more emotionally present, allowing the the, uh, flow of emotions. Um, Whereas, you know, what, what society has normalized and rewarded is intellects, intellectual. And so there's more of more people, in my opinion, that are like that than there are more emotional. So like what you're bringing to the table here is you're bringing this like, weird mix, because you have this Intellect to you. I mean, philosophy. You have all this this amazing background, and you're presenting information like true research you've done through this like, you know, amazing kinetic, stat, ecstatic, right, ecstatic movement. Um, and that's that. You know, I, and just to just to finish the thought, but to offer a different uh, uh, archetype name, you're a magician. You're a magician. Ooh. Yeah. Cause fool, you know, those words, I get why you'd say that. And you know, the clown, the the, 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 I feel like there's, um, a little connection, like negative negativity connected to that nowadays because of society, but magician, like you're, you have this ability to, to in any moment take the situation and flip it and make it and make it fun.
0: I love that. I'm so honored by that title. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So I,
1: just to continue this conversation and I love it where it's going. Um, 2020 came around, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> and the whole world changed, I feel like. Um, but I want to know your perspective. So you've been speaking, I mean, you've been doing this comedic movement stuff for a while. You've been doing the the, the sketch comedy for a while. Mm. When did things kind of shift for you with 2020? Like how, how, why and how was the, or where, when was the moment that has shifted for you were like, man, I got to start talking about this crap. It's, it's all over.
0: I mean, I think I have been talking the whole time, you know, mm. it, the only difference was people actually started listening to me <laughs> more recently, but I've been going on and on and on for a very fucking long time. I mean, I started writing, you know, 15 years ago and blogging and making videos. I mean, I actually even started when YouTube was just beginning Mm-hmm. That was kind of when I start, first started playing. I, that channel is actually gone. Um, but I did have like a, a YouTube channel many, many years ago that I was really pursuing for some time. Um, so it's been a while for me. I think my parents were very, very political people. My mother especially was obsessed with the news. And so I was exposed to a lot of information from a really, really young age. Like I remember the Christmas that like Chaitesco was assassinated and listening to wow. it. Um, I think it, we were listening to it either Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. Um, and like, Merry Christmas, you know, like no wonder I didn't believe in Santa Claus. And so like these things were, really kind of brought into my awareness, into my consciousness from a very young age. And my parents were often talking about politics. My mother, um, she's a professor of Persian and Arabic language and literature and women's studies. And so she was very um, vocal about uh, the Palestinian plight, even, you know, 30 years ago, you know, she was talking about this stuff. So I've just been kind of exposed. And I also think, um, growing up in a city, you're much more aware, or at least I personally was like very aware of, uh, economic discrepancy and watching wealth discrepancy and witnessing it and having a lot of emotional reactions to it. Um, I cried a lot when I was a kid about the world. I was very just perplexed by all the war and suffering. And I also went to a school that, you know, really was trying their best to kind of educate you as a young child about civil rights. And we watched eyes on the prize when I was in the fifth grade and, you know, all these things, they didn't just fly over my head. They were like penetrating me in a really deep way. So but I think I ha- I was frustrated at the same time because the explanations I was getting in school as to why this was all going on seemed very superficial to me. I didn't really buy the stories that I was receiving that like, oh, the North were just better people. I was like, what? I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I just didn't like, I didn't, history really bothered me, even though like retrospect, I'm so interested in history and science really bothered me too. And I'm so interested in science, but There was something I could just see that there was something under the veil that I just couldn't I couldn't access. You know, I didn't have the Internet. I didn't have um, that possibility when I was growing up. So. I don't know, but I I do think it's been a lifelong interest. And so with 2020, I was already like, I mean, I'm a bit it's like it's hard to talk about this now because there is such a stigma, but let me just say I'm somebody who's has a really tough time trusting official narratives. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm always kind of anytime a story's out, I'm like, well, what's really going on, you know? And When they, when I think they talk for, in
1: lockstep, when they're like, like talking exactly the same thing all over, I'm like, Oh, Oh, why?
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you dabbled in the world of like, the there.com or whatever. I mean, I think the thing that's a little challenging is that the, I mean, I'm just, it's such a buzzword, but the conspiracy world, you know, when I was first introduced to it was very progressive and left-wing and we were all about uncovering what was going on with Baby Bush and Dick Cheney and like the Bilderberg Group and, you know, Bohemian Grove. And because there was a conservative leadership at that time, that whole movement, at least the movement that I was aware of was super left wing. And I know that that's shifted, which I'm always like, how, what, what?" how did that happen?
1: I know it was like, it was like genius, whatever they did.
0: (laughs) It was amazing. And I mean, like, I've been talking about mind control and like the, (laughs) the, um, I mean, the Jeffrey Epstein stuff, like we've been, I'm like, we've been talking about this for a long time. I, I, um,
1: you know, Kathy, Kathy O'Brien. Never yes, heard that I do. I, I interviewed her. I know her. Wow. She talked about some stuff that I'm like, whoa, I couldn't whoa. even I couldn't even include it into the 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 my interviews because it was or the interview because it was it was like, whoa, that's heavy. I can't put that in there. But there's some yeah. heavy stuff that they do to make that work.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, I know. I've I've heard it all. So it's almost like, I think for a lot of people that have been, let's just call it like alternative news, alternative reality. For those of us that have dabbled in that space, I think when the pandemic started happening, we were like, wait, what? Like, this is actually happening. I was kind of kidding. Like, how is this like, what? You know, like, I was like, okay, okay. okay all right. All right. Oh, this it is happening. Of, All
1: right. We're actually doing this. All right. All right.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think for a lot of us, it was like, Oh, we, I mean, like we were talking about it, but whoa, like this is, this is more real now than it has been, but it's always been very real. I don't know. And also not real. Who knows? I do. I also really relate to the people that talk about like the conspiracies in plain sight are much more important to focus on. You don't have mm-hmm. to think about like time traveling, you know, lizard, vampire elites that suck the blood of children and feed off their adrenochrome. You can just look at the financial system itself and be like, oh, I'm monopolies. So, I mean, I think that that's also a completely uh, valid point. I think, I think for me, though, with the pandemic, what was really possible for me was more people were on the Internet and more interested in what the fuck I was talking about.
1: That's true. And I'm glad you said that because <clears throat> there was there was a huge shift in researching in and in like taking in information um, yeah. I mean, even even from the beginning of 2020 to now, there's been a huge shift. I've noticed. Yeah. Because I've had people. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about you, but when I started speaking out about this stuff in the beginning of 2020, I lost a lot of friends, and you know, family stopped talking to me because not because they're like, "I hate you," I don't agree with you. It's like I don't know how to approach this person anymore, <laughs> and mm. that's and that's what I noticed happening. And where now. They are approaching they're like, Hey, uh, that what's you've been talking about hey. this. <laughs> <years."> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Luckily for me, I think I'd already weeded everybody out. <laughs> so
1: everyone that stuck around kind of knows, yeah,
0: they know what they, they've been in for for a while. So <laughs> I didn't lose anybody. Uh, you only gained. Yeah.
1: You've only gained, you've only resonated with people. I love yeah. that. Um, did you you know you had that post recently that you did um that went super viral i think it has like half a million views now on your on your instagram and
0: oh the black rocket i mean yeah now i'm censored that one went right yeah, yeah like, that
1: one that one took I, think, off. I, I had it circle back around from other people that are like you know the, the people that i just mentioned that came back to me and they're like oh look at this did you know this and i'm like yep i actually know her yep. and we're talking about this. <laughs> um, yeah, that one that eventually
0: was, did get censored. Um, I was going to ask, so, censored, so yeah,
1: that's what I was going to ask. So like you did that one that went viral. Have Have you had to deal with censorship and and being suppressed and on your, all your platforms?
0: Yeah. Ironically, just before this call, I just was doing a video about censorship and independent fact checking. So I was like, I got to talk about this. Cause that was a bit of a bummer. Um, I've had a lot of videos taken down, censored and muted. Um, And that one kind of bummed me out (laughs) because I was like, oh, that was my biggest video. Um, But I think the reality about censorship is, you know, I'm using a corporate machine that is promoting on a corporate platform to talk about the dangers of corporations. So it's like, what do I fucking expect (laughs) on a certain level, you know? So I'm in yeah. the beehive. I'm, not, I'm yeah. gonna get stung
1: by the bees probably.
0: <laughs> yeah, like they were like, shut up, bitch. And I was like, fair, enough. Okay. You know, so all I can keep doing is like keep putting things out there, I guess, and just trying not to um let it break my heart, because it does a little bit, but it's also like obvious. And I, mm. I, it was just like, Oh, okay. You know, one of my friends was like, what a compliment. And I was like, Oh, okay. You know,
1: badge of honor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if you get deleted, I mean, I, that's a badge of honor.
0: And <laughs> I'm like, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm doing it. I think when I like can divorce myself of like my ego or my ambition, it's not a problem. Um, but then it's like, I really do want the information to get out there in a genuine way. And it is frustrating, mm. and I, but and I'm I, not the only person talking about this stuff at the same time.
1: Yeah. And I, and I just want to say, I, I appreciate your willingness to own your stuff. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, you, you're very, you're very open to sharing like your own struggles and what you go through. And then like, Hey, I'm still, I'm just a human being trying to figure this out with you guys. Um, so I yeah. appreciate that.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah. I try. I try.
1: No, you do. And I mean, I, 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 do have do. It. I
0: do, I do, I am. And I do, And I definitely have an, an ambition, but I think that ambition is twofold. You know, I, I genuinely, I want to be a part of revolutionary thought and action, like from the bowels of my soul, that is so important to me. And then also, You know, I think I'm still that little kid that's like craving to be seen and heard. You know, (laughs) somebody love me. So,
1: hundred percent, hundred percent. That's there. I'll compare. I'll relate to that Uh, one million percent. That was actually my upbringing. Which I don't know if you know. I'm an actor myself, and I produce myself, so I have the same things that drive me. I feel that you have, Mm. which is this external validation. Like,
0: hey, hi, look at me. I'm here. What's what's your birth order? Just curious. Uh,
1: like what what my birthday is.
0: And your birth order, like, where where are you? Are you like the first child, second child, middle child?
1: Uh, Youngest of three boys. And the oldest is eight years older than me. The middle is six and a half years older than me. And so I'm very I'm like the youngest.
0: You're the youngest. I think a lot of times the youngest are performers because we're so you get born into an ecosystem of which you have to adapt into the world never revolved around you. So we always kind of have this craving for like the world to revolve around us. I'm like, what was that like?
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I would always be told when I was younger, you're the you're the first one to get hit and the last one to speak. <laughs> Uh, Mm. I'm Brazilian family. So we did a lot of spanking in Brazil.
0: Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. And also older brothers. I, I don't think there's enough conversation around sibling abuse and how violent an older brother can be.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great point. I'm going to write that down. Honestly. I mean, I think that's, that's so important because it's like, you know, our trauma happens when we're most of our trauma and and, and agreements happen until you're eight, nine years old. And so, yeah, I mean, you still love them, right? But there was trauma that happened there.
0: Oh, yeah. A lot. Yeah. A lot of physical and mental <laughs> abuse that we're subject to, as especially the younger sibling of a brother, mm. not to male shame, but I do think that um, brothers are their own challenge.
1: So this is a very serious question. This next one um, <clears throat> is laughter, the best medicine.
0: Oh, I just <laughs> saw this um, beautiful quote that uh, was laughter is the same in every language. Oh, wow.
1: I love that. Yes. I
0: did too. I was like, who the mm. fuck said that? It's really deep. Um, I think laughter is disarming and I think the reality is, is that learning is actually a really vulnerable place to be. I personally am a huge fan of learning. I think it comes from obviously my parents being educators and I am a teacher. Uh, I've been a dance teacher for a, uh, you know about 10 years and I get so excited when I learn something new and when I somebody in my class learn something new. Like I literally like I jump up and down. I like shake them. I just like, we stop the class and we just like have a moment of gratitude and joy to just, you know, praise this person who just learned. So I find learning really, really exciting, but it's also really vulnerable. And you're basically like opening up your synapses to be infiltrated by the influence of another. And so I think what laughter does is that it kind of openly addresses that really sincere vulnerability that learning is and I also think that you know when you're a kid you are in the practice of learning and so learning is something that you're used to but as an adult we kind of learn less we put Mm -hmm. ourselves in situations where we learn less and so when we learn something that makes us feel stupid Then we don't like it. You feel shame, you know, like when you learn something that you didn't know, sometimes you can be like, oh, why didn't I know that? Or you can, it's really can feel like a humiliation. So I think that, but when you have laughter, it kind of circumvents the embarrassment of not knowing something.
1: I love that. Yeah. It's like, um, like uh, almost like a tool you're using as a tool to be able to absorb the new information and allow it into your body so that you can remember it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. Um, yeah, that was a great answer. I was expecting <laughs> a whole answer. Um, it, it was more of like an, you know, like, cause that's what people say. Uh, but thank you for that. That's, that's beautiful. Um, you know, I even said recently, um, you know, there is a difference ab- between learning intellectually and learning with your body, like putting yourself, oh, your heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With your heart, putting yourself in situations that your body has to move through and learning at the same time, um, I, I just did this practice, uh, recently I went to Hawaii and had a whole men's retreat, but the leader at, throughout every event, through every practice, he would sing these indigenous songs. Mm. And by the end of all this, man, every time he would sing it, I started, I would feel it in my body. I would actually feel mm. the information in my body. And, and I had this epiphany and I'm like, wow, if uh, learning, right, we've, 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 Almost like bastardized learning too, the process of learning, where we mm. rewarded the intellect and allowed you know just that to be stimulated when it's really the thing that's really just kind of helping us survive. this is the this is the memory right here. Mm. And putting your body into and allowing the cells to be penetrated with information. dude, that's that's a lifetime. that's for a lifetime. So.
0: yeah, I actually think that that is uh, known and intentionally. Silenced. Um, you know, I think that our public educational system is setting up kids and teachers for failure in the sense that it doesn't serve the status quo to have a nation of critical thinkers. It serves the status quo to have a nation of people who are you know, I think it's like a Rockefeller or maybe it was a, a Ford. He hmm. wanted people that were smart enough yeah, to be able to work in the factory. Yeah, yep. And not smart enough to question why are they spending their lives in a factory. And I think that there is an intentional way in which we sabotage teachers. So, you know, they have too many students for a class. They don't have a uh, proper compensation. They don't have proper materials. They are overwhelmed. They're often young. They don't have the support. They get burnt out really easily and then the kids are forced into circumstances where they're not allowed to move or express themselves or to go outside enough and so there is this very i think intentional assault on the educational system because i do think that people know that their that wisdom comes from a different way of learning and embodying information and like the mind body duality i mean this is something if you're going to look from a Western point of view, the philosophers have been speaking about for 2,500 years. And if you're looking at an Eastern point of view, philosophers have been speaking about for 30,000, 50,000 years. So the mind-body duality is like definitely been discussed. So I have to think it's an intentional rejection of that knowledge.
1: And, I, and I'm hearing me like, it's funny because it's like, um, it's, it is such a simple thing to get to, like, the, like the, uh, concept, the idea like, well, yeah, we've been discussing this for eons, but oh, like, we forgot like what happened. Right. Like I, yeah. I, I think of myself, like I was born into this world and I'm like, why are, why are we like, like, why, why is this happening? There's all these things. Like you mentioned when you were younger, you just knew instinctively this common yeah. sense stuff. And then it, it needed to get distorted and, and suppressed and pushed into a box. Um, Yeah. Wow.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think dance is a big part of it. I mean, you, did you say you were Brazilian?
1: Yes. Yeah. A lot of dance. Samba.
0: Oh God. I mean, I think like, and African cultures and a lot in Latin, a lot of Latin cultures, it's like dance is so integrated in the fabric of society. And I do think as the uh, white colonizer, sorry, um, they first thing they probably did was take away dance and embodiment in order for you to have the tolerance of the violence of being a empire and a a colonizer. And which is like, you know, there is the um, cliche or stereotype white people can't dance. I think that's, (laughs) I think it was actually kind of like taken from, the culture intentionally in order to get people out of their bodies so they would be uh more tolerant of extreme and illogical and horrific violence
1: wow i'm so happy that you said that because that is that is true that is an actual thing there's an article from the late 1800s that i found where they outlawed um the tribes in the locations where they were you know planting crops um i think this is like this is uh in africa Ugh, i'm, I'm going to mess up the location but they outlawed the the tribes doing ceremonies like doing the ritualistic mm. dancing and all that so that is on point i mean that makes total sense because if you you know if you're allowed to do that kind of stuff I and mean allowed when you do that kind of stuff it, it it creates you know it creates bonding it creates energy it creates all the stuff that the colonizers we're, they didn't know. They're like, "What are you doing? They don't. We don't get it. We what's this? This doesn't tell me what's what's happening here because they weren't mm. allowed it, like, being in their bodies." Wow, good, good point that you just pushed there. Thanks. <laughs> no, I, I just want to say that because I, I mean, I I actually forgot about that, and that's that's exactly uh, that actually did happen. Um,
0: so that's why dance is so significant. I think dance to me is one of the most important things to bring back into modern society.
1: Exactly exactly. And actually that's why I wanted to go to next a little bit, man. Cause, cause, cause look at what they're doing now with the kids,
0: uh, mm. six
1: feet apart. Um, can't see your Mask. face. Yeah. I mean, how, how much, how much nonverbal communication do we learn? You know, how, what's the percentage of, of, uh, communication that is nonverbal. Right. And then you can't see mm-hmm. their face. You can't see their, their lips. You can't see the words that they're expressing. So, In your opinion, how do you see with everything that you've experienced and you're seeing happening with the the children now, how do you see that being having an effect on them in the future?
0: Well, I mean, so I have a kid and the pandemic was a really interesting time for us because, you know, she couldn't go to school for the whole, you know, for March until the end of the year. And we spent a lot of time together and we made a lot of videos together. And yeah, I mean, I think she missed her friends. Um, but we like really, we had, we like really got to bro down and it was really nice, you know? So I think there was a kind of moment with the pandemic that was kind of beautiful and great for families. If you just surrendered to it, you know, and granted I only have one kid, so that's a different experience than like being home with like four kids or three kids or even two kids. I just had one. So I'm coming from that context and perspective, but I do think that from a, a parenting and a connecting and a family, there was like a really cool moment that happened there that I'm actually really grateful for. Um, and then in terms of the school, I mean, my kid, they started school outside, which I thought was really cool. And they went to school all, all past two years outside um,
1: that's joke. even in the winter, <laughs> even in the winter. Yeah. That's I amazing. mean, if we
0: live in the tundra, like it got cold. Where, my where, kid are definitely, where, where are you at? I'm in, uh, Northern New England and New Hampshire.
1: Gotcha. Okay.
0: So it gets cold. cold. I mean, like they were at school, you know, 10 degrees and my kid would come home and she literally had like on five pairs of pants. So, but they, you know, and they did have the mask even though they were outside, but I think that kids, the kids were so adaptable and they were so, I don't know. I mean, the, the great thing about kids is that you can program them. And then the bad thing about kids is that you can program them, you know, (laughs) Yes. but I, I did not personally, you know, I, and her and I talked a lot, like we talked a lot about what was going on. So I did think it had this like opportunity for the kids to, um, kind of get involved in a world in the world in the way they wouldn't have. And maybe that's to their detriment and maybe not. I'm just going to trust that like that is the experience that they needed in order to become the revolutionaries that the world needs. I do think that we need a major and an uncompromising shift of consciousness that I think that the generation coming up is like, it's, you know, it's going to be them I believe that. And so I just think this was part of their training. I trust that it was part of their training and I trust that they are going to, you know, be stronger because of it. And that's where I'm at.
1: Wow. I'm, I'm like, my heart just expanded hearing that answer because, um, it's in, man, I uh, the, you know the answer we get uh, that I get usually is we got to fight for our kids, we got to save our kids, and we got to. Uh, uh, uh. And I didn't, you know, you just gave this answer where it's like, this is where we're at. This is this is gonna make them who they're supposed to be, yeah, for when they're our age, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that to me is just like talk about. Talk about, I mean, that kind of level of awareness is beautiful. And I'm so grateful that there are people like you that exist that are also speaking out. So thank you for that.
0: Oh yeah, totally. I have to, I have to trust in a certain sense that there is a choice that we are chosen, chosen to be born when we are born, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that if we are, I don't know, I, I sometimes, I, you know, who knows what happens when we die? Like we have no clue, but There is this randomness. I mean, think about how much sperm is in your dad's balls and how he's extracting sperm constantly, you know, just like, and then that one sperm made you. It's so fucking random that it has to be intentional. Like, it's so (laughs) stupid that it's like so real, you know? There's (laughs) so much sperm in the world. It's like, it's like, look... (laughs) much
1: trillions on trillions of trillions yeah it's,
0: just, it's constantly just like whoops and oh then like whoa but there you human. are oh my gosh yeah yeah
1: so oh oh i love that again medicine right here just just talking to you i'm like laughing and my body's healing thank you um oh, i love that so to shift to shift the conversation because i am a crypto guy and i have to so shift it into yes crypto. Um of course. So what are your thoughts about crypto and is it the bad people's way of controlling us? Honest <laughs> oh, question. Honest question. I really want to know your yeah.
0: thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot about crypto. I think my biggest fear is around, you know, the government then coming in. I mean, I know like China is very against Bitcoin and wants to create like the government non-regulated cryptocurrency that they regulate and they monitor all your purchases through. I think that the, the intent, the intention of governments to regulate crypto is obviously where it's all going. And that's going to be kind of the battle of what's going on. I do think, There's the obvious environmental question around the mining, but then the environmental question around how we power anything is the bigger question to me. I think that the the mining of crypto is a mere consequence of a very intentional and archaic, nefarious intention to maintain the status quo when it comes to energy and power. And that's not the fault of crypto. That is just the natural consequences of our powering the grid you know so i don't shame crypto for that i think you know obviously there is the fear around you know human trafficking and mm. drugs and and abuse and murder and you know but those things happen regardless of crypto i just think that crypto kind of gets the blame for Mm -hmm. facilitating a lot of dark actions that have been happening pre-crypto. So I I don't think that's necessarily accurate or fair. I just think that, I think I kind of see crypto as neutral and benign, and then a lot of uh, blame gets placed on it because of the circumstance. How do you feel?
1: Love it. No, that's, I mean, I'm in a total agreement. What I do is I call it a tool, right? So yeah, uh, just like anything that is a tool, uh, it can be yielded by somebody that's good. It can be yielded by somebody that's evil. You know, it's all about the intention that they're using that tool for. So yeah, crypto, once you really understand the layers and how it works and how the internet works and how it all comes together, you you really quickly see that they dug themselves a hole And Mm -hmm. we now have a concept. It's about the concept the blockchain concept that we can now create with. And so to answer all those questions and all those concerns, yes, a hundred million percent, they are going to do that. They are going to create their own currency. They're going to use it to control and they're going to use it to destroy. Mm -hmm. And so we have to, you know, and, and, and using the, the, like you, like you mentioned, using all the, 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 the uh, facilities and the buildings that already exist that were already built, you know, with, with this destructive mindset and with this like consuming mindset. So, you know, when you're building a new technology, you have to build with what you have. Um, so yes, all those things are real. All those things are being done, but good men are also, you know, using crypto, you, good men are also and creating ladies. and ladies, good men and women. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. Yes.
0: And non-binaries actually, actually, and all Honestly, of
1: it's funny because the women are are sort of leading the the industry right now a little bit mm-hmm. because of uh, NFTs. They, they took, they kind of shifted uh, into artists and musicians and for, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, the women were more willing to jump in and go, I'll do this. And so it's actually been taken over by women and which is awesome because it's, it's, it's brought in this whole new flavor into the industry to kind of stir it up a little bit. But, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in total agreement. Uh, it's a tool, it's a tool and we have to yield it.
0: Yeah. Finance is often, I think, pushed into the realm of masculinity And in general, I think when a woman comes into money or if she inherits money or if she makes money or if she divorces a man with money, there's always this big social pressure, personal pressure to get into philanthropy and to give that money away. I mean, I think it's really interesting what happened with uh, Jeff Bezos's wife, you know, she's like, I'm going to give this all away. And he's like, I'm going to fucking make 10 times more, (laughs) you know? And it's like, cool. Okay. But I do think there is something really interesting around the like. There's a a banking called Women's World Banking that uh, deals with micro loans to women in developing nations. So basically, the theory is is that when you give money to a woman, it's not just about that woman; it's actually about the community around her because women are um, notoriously are, or you know more um more community oriented and maybe that's because we're programmed and socialized to be but there is this deep power in giving and in enabling i i hate the word empowerment so much i hate it because power is not something that i want because power implies hierarchy and power over another and I really want to break apart this power structure. So the word empowering to me just feels like a tool of the patriarchy to put women in positions that men are occupying. And that to me is not dismantling anything interesting. So I'm definitely trying to like, I think of the words I'm saying because it's like fuck empowerment. It's so condescending. I just wanna uh, I wanna scream when talk about when people talk about empowering women. It makes Let me it so out. enraged. Let it out. <laughs> yeah. I go, I'm like, no, fuck that shit. Yeah. It's like power is the goddamn problem. So But what I think is interesting about these micro loans to women and the way that women approach money, I don't want women to approach money like the status quo. I want to encourage the way women are more community oriented. And I want men to become more or any non-binary or any gender to become more community oriented. So when money comes to you, it's not like, what does this do for me? But what does this do for those around me? What can I do... to use this as an act of service, because that's so much more interesting than just somebody hoarding money, like Elon or Jeff or Mark Zuckerberg. This hoarding of capital is um, really boring me. I love that
1: answer. And it's so in alignment with what I've been teaching recently. Because you're mm. right. You're right. This, this capitalism structure that we've normalized is a very masculine driven society. And naturally it's natural for the, for the, 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 the masculine that leans into um, what's yeah, the, the power energy, the King energy too much to create a structure of energy, like a flow of energy as a triangle. So mm-hmm. what does that remind you of, right? So why? Because you have the base, a large base, and that all that power flows up to the tip top. To the pyramid. And people think like, oh, so you have we have to flip the pyramid. It's like, no, no, if you flip the pyramid, it's the same shit. You're just No, it's have just, a circle. Yeah. Well, so so what I've come to realize is oh, we need we need a toroidal field of Ooh. movement of energy. And and it's it's like a female, it's a a more feminine energy, you know, where Mm. the the community is feeding back into itself Mm. on all areas. And so there is no triangle. It's not about flipping Mm. the triangle or keeping it up. It's about eliminating it. Actually, in my opinion, dissolving it, right? It's very
0: Um, Nikola Tesla of you.
1: Yeah, I can't help. (laughs) I love Mm. Nikola Tesla. He had it right. If you want to know Mm. the secrets of the universe, think in terms of vibrations, frequencies, and waves, and you will know it all. Um, mm. so, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I'm so glad you, you meant, you said all that because that's, that's it. That's it. Once we can start to look at, um, the flow of energy, right? It's all about the flow of energy. It's exchange of energy. Yeah. Once we can start mm-hmm. to look at the flow and exchange of energy as something that can be, um, it can self feed, like you can self feed.
0: Mm-hmm. It's not just going
1: out and up and out, you know, so where it's not, sh- it's coming back
0: in. Yeah. it's recycled. That's abundance. Upcycled. That's abundance. Yeah, I love it. Very groovy. Yeah. And I would think that's pansexual. You know, it's not. I I think the thing that like I'm really trying to be careful of is alienating men talk when I talk about things like the patriarchy, because I'm not talking about a man, a specific man. I'm not talking about a dude. It's this
1: energy. No,
0: it's a system. It's a system that prioritizes a certain way of being. And I think that, uh, yeah, I think it's all about like being poly and pansexual and, and like, just like omni-gender, you know, and not that we can't celebrate. I I mean, also, I think the, the, I think the gender celebration is cool too, on all levels. Like I don't think we have to obliterate. I don't think we have to condense. I don't think we have to morph into one homogenous entity where nothing is distinguishable, but I do think what would be more interesting for society is not existing in these like extreme polarities Mm. and not allowing ourselves to feel so fragmented in division, but actually realizing that every person is a complex ecosystem that contains all aspect of every personality, of every mental illness, of every gender, of every sexuality. It's like, we are all a living, breathing spectrum of which we need to honor ourselves in.
1: That's such a beautiful way of of describing literally what's happening in the world right now. I feel where there's this like You know, everything's a spectrum, in my opinion. And it seems like most um uh the mainstream narrative is to if you're not thinking like us, then we're not a community. Whereas Mm. whereas like the truth is don't think like me. We are a community. Yeah, (laughs) it's fine.
0: It's it's okay. It's fine. (laughs) It's funny. I have a friend, um, who would get really anxious when we didn't think the same, and we didn't agree? And he would always just like get really agitated, and we would and we would argue, and he would get so upset as if us not thinking exactly the same meant our friendship wasn't legitimate. And then eventually, he was like, "Oh my god, like we can still be friends even though we think different." I was like, "Yeah, yeah,
1: that's that's, uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's oh, it, that's no, it." But, but, but it was I, a funny.
0: I, I, journey to go through with this person I could sense their anxiety when we diverged in thought and I think it's like a a bit of like we want to merge and feel one with people because then we feel safe and so part of that merging is like oh we are the same we think the same we don't have to challenge each other in any way and I think we need to kind of like allow a little bit more uh conflict in relationships in order. And and it doesn't have to be conflict, but it can just be conflicting, you know, ways of seeing the world. Does it have to impact love?
1: Yes. Yes. You can say what you want with love. (laughs) You can say what you need with love. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest issue, right? We, um, we, 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 uh, I think it's easy. At least this was for me. It's easy to like talk to someone in a fluid way, thinking like oh i don't need to worry about what i'm kind of talking about because i'm not going to get this reaction whereas whereas before it's like oh i need to be very careful what i say because i'll get that i'll get that reaction so there's this like expectation and it's almost as if like the expectation is what's creating the tension before you even speak
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and i think we're all really afraid of offending each other which Mm -hmm. i think is i think we need to offend each other a little bit more i think we need to relax on the um that a little bit. And I don't mean by saying, you know, hateful words, because as we all know, you know, aggressive, hateful energy has a real impact on the cells and the DNA. But I think we often can unconsciously offend each other. And maybe it's like being a little bit more forgiving or being a little bit more fluid. You know, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure exactly what the answer is, but I think when we silence a conversation you know, his boundaries are good, but I don't know. There's a, there's a silencing energy that happens that I'm always like, okay. Yeah. It's,
1: um, it's like, um, it's like, it's, there are words that you speak and then there's the, the delivery, right? The, yeah. The, it comes when the, cause you can say, I mean, you're an actress, so you know, you're like, we can speak, we can say, I love you, but feel hatred. Yeah. Like you can say
0: it so many ways. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so it comes out with this way, which is interesting, you know, for a movie for like something you're watching on TV, it's like, Oh, that's cool. That looks different. But in real life, it's no good (laughs) in real life. And it's conflicting. It's confusing. Um, So yeah, that's, uh, that's like, I think that that's just about communication and trying to find the middle ground Um, and being willing and being willing to, you know, be patient with each other. Because Mm,
0: I love patience. That's cool. Yeah, Yeah, it's really cool. Because I mean, people have different like passive aggressive versus aggressive. You know, and I think whoa, (laughs) those are (laughs) yeah, and those I think can where is where a lot of trouble happens with those two, exactly um, archetypes.
1: Yeah. Wow, this was so amazing. I'm so happy that I got to connect with you and just learn more about you uh, and just your life and, and how you got to this point. And like, man, I, I'm going to be watching your, your stuff very differently now. Just having that in the oh, background. Yeah. yeah.
0: I really I just, appreciate I see this. It. I really like talking to you and I'm so grateful for all the kind words you said and just being able to have this open dialogue. It was really medicinal.
1: Yes. So one last thing. Um, and, and I like to leave the pat last word for the interviewee. Uh, if you want to plug something or leave a p- piece of advice, but what are some grounding practices that you do on a daily basis that oh. help- <laughs> oh
0: God. I got a fucking a, lot? I know I got a lot, dude. As soon as
1: I said that, because that's like a, a question I asked, I'm like, oh, she dances. Duh. No. Uh, but like, but but honestly, what are some things that you do that help you during those triggering moments?
0: Mm. So I am a practicing Buddhist and I have done a couple of meditation retreats, 10 day silent retreats, and I have a daily practice. And so meditation is a big, big part of my life. I also like to do different um, gratitude exercises with myself where I really sit in gratitude every day, every night and every morning. First thing as I'm going to bed, I go through things that things I'm grateful for people I'm grateful for. I actually do that until I fall asleep. Any of you insomniacs out there, I highly recommend just laying in bed and going through all the things you're grateful for. And there's a lot, you will be, you know, you can be grateful for your eyes. You can be grateful for your immune system. You can be grateful for your best friend and your mother and your house. I mean, like, I fall asleep every night thinking about that. And then it's the first thing I think about when I wake up is all the things I'm grateful for. Um, I definitely like to connect to the earth and to the cosmos. And so I will do grounding exercises where I visualize the earth, you know, traveling up my body and then bringing the cosmic energy into my body. So I do a lot of visualizing, (laughs) meditating, a lot of gratitude. And I do have daily practices every morning and every night and Even if that's five minutes for you, I highly recommend you just make that happen. I think it's a daily thing. I really do.
1: Oh, such a beautiful, I mean, that is the, probably the best advice anyone could give is express, don't suppress, let it out.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Wow! Thank you so much, Tony. You were just a pleasure to speak to and talk and conversate and connect. I thank you so much for that
0: yay thank you thank you i'm really grateful
1: thank you everyone for watching and always remember gamify your abundance love you guys wow 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 tony was just tapped into flow right tapped into expression it's almost like it just came natural to her um Clearly, her journey here to this point was meant to happen the way it was, so that she can be the conduit, the person to allow that energy to flow through her to heal others through movement. Um, and I love the conversation that we did we had about crypto. You know, I, I've I've shared this before that if you're into art, if you're into um, singing, if you're into any sort of entertainment type creation from the source type passion crypto has a bridge for you it has a way to really you know not have to you know sell your soul to third parties to these big companies where you can like control it yourself you can do it yourself and so if you want to know more about crypto, if you want to dive a little deeper into NFTs and what that actually looks like, make sure you check out my website, autogomes.live links. It has all my products on there that you can start to, to check out and look and, and you know, educate yourself, get more, more education. Just like Tony said, you know, we've bastardized the way we learn. And you know, I hope, you know, I, I sit and hope that we are now shifting towards a more embodiment way of learning. So if you want to dive deeper, make sure you check my website. And if you want to get connected with Toni Nagy, uh, search for her on Instagram, all her videos on there. She is just an amazing person in how she presents facts so that we can be receptive to it and just laugh and heal ourselves in the same the same little video. So with that, just remember that I am super grateful for every single one of you that is out there listening to this. And always remember to gamify your abundance. Love you
0: guys.